Welcome to the Tour Talk Golf Podcast, where we walk the walk. Now let's talk the talk. I am your co-host, Sean McBride. Together with my wife, Maria, we share our Inside the Ropes experience on all the major golf tours. Welcome, Maria, Nurse Maria, may I say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have been a nurse a little bit. First, our daughter got a bad cold, and she was so generous to give it to Sean. And so that's why he might sound a little bit rough today. And we will apologize in advance if there's some cough or a sneeze coming through. But uh, other than that, we are doing great. I'm sitting here with a nice cup of coffee and it's raining outside. It was just typical Orlando afternoon. So, Sean, what have you been up to except being in bed? Well, despite uh, the croaky voice and the cranky attitude, which you have to put up with. (laughs) Yes, yes, I've been obviously keeping a bit of a low profile uh, in our travels because Tour Talk was unbelievably appreciative of being guests at the Wyndham Championship up in North Carolina, PGA Tour event just played on the weekend. Wyndham Travel and Leisure and Scott Kavanagh invited us up there for a particular reason, that's to get your involvement in a couple of clinics up there and the PGA Tour Pro-Am on the Wednesday. But weren't they just fantastic hosts and we cannot thank them enough. Yeah, it was unbelievable week actually and Scott Kavanagh to some, together with... Uh, Kim Marshall, uh, both with Travel Leisure um, at Wyndham. It was an amazing week. I mean, the weather was beautiful and everything around it. There was so much hospitality and mm. generosity that we can just not be thankful enough for. Yeah, I mean, all the all the events I did over the years on the PGA Tour, my players never went to the Wyndham Championship. So I missed out a little bit because I thought the golf course was fantastic. The area around there was great. The hotel was unbelievably nice so we could not be thankful fantastic hospitality from morning till night yeah but obviously there for a couple of reasons so you did play the wednesday program which we're going to expand a little bit later but on thursday you found yourself in a special little clinic tell us a little bit more about that you happen to be doing a clinic for women in golf i think with Susie whaley yeah so that was the um the first women uh executive golf clinic with Susie Whaley um, and we had it there at the hotel and it was really a, a fun experience and this was the first one out of many. We are hoping, or well, we know that Wyndham is going to suspend, well, kind of expand on this a little bit and go forward uh, every year and it was so much fun to to spend some time. The first was a little Q&A before we did the clinic just talking about our careers, where we are, how we got to where we are for both me and Susie and how to kind of incorporate golf a little bit into um, the business world mm. with all these exclusive women. So it was it was a great experience. And then we got out there on the driving range and the putting green and uh, finished off with a lunch. So it was a very good Thursday morning. Morning till lunch. It's always nice to have a nice little clinic with a lunch afterwards. Always feel like it's a good one. Uh, Short, sharp, hot weather up there. So I was watching from the hotel uh, window as I was trying to recover from this cold, which, by the way, (laughs) uh, I will say was not COVID, negative COVID. So Sean was travelling and socialising and being respectful of social distance and all those fabulous popular words in the last couple of years. But anyway, from the hotel window, I've seen you comfortably looking after a bunch of uh, two groups. Um, I know you split it between yourself and Susie, but um, obviously, you know, passing on your knowledge 
in a clinic format to anybody, whether it be women or young girls and boys or men? Do you find that an easy thing to do to pass on all this immense elite level knowledge uh, and bring it back down to the beginner stages? Is that an easy thing for you to do as you continue to do it more and more? I do find it it's easier. Uh, I find it, um, especially women, are very, very appreciative when it comes to just small little things that you will tell them. And uh, some of these women had never played golf before. They've never held a golf club. Um, so you really had to go down to the very basics of everything. I did the putting part and just the setup of a putt is really, you know, showing them the basics. What can they think about when they now go out and maybe you know, play some golf or just go out on the putting green and practice a little bit, what can they think of? So, um, you know, I think it's great to to show women just simple things and they really, you know, can't be thankful enough to just get the smallest little, smallest little tip, smallest little hint that will help them hopefully have three putts instead of four putts. So it's, it's a great little thing, I think, to to coach women and especially in group environments where you have it as social as well. Yeah, Tour Talk has always been uh, trying to bring our elite level experience to the masses, you know, so whether it be young boys and girls or, or executive women's like this that are there for a, for a particular corporate function, it's about being able to manage that information that you have and relating to the to the ability of the player, whether it be male or female. So excellent day that day. And, of course, on that particular night, we went to the Pro-Am dinner and we just happened to be uh, sitting there with all our uh, immediate friends that we made at Wyndham. So we're sitting there <laughs> on the table and they had two guest speakers, uh, two PGA Tour players, obviously, Billy Horschel, defending champion and obviously an outstanding, uh, having an outstanding year. And we got the pleasure to listen to Ju Yung Kim. And you'll be glad to know if you're thinking, I think I know that name. He goes by Tom Kim. And this guy, four days later, starts with a quadruple bogey on Thursday, but four days after that, three days after that, he goes and wins the golf tournament. So yeah. when you see somebody just have such an effortless interview at such a young age in mm-hmm. front of so many people, there was no surprise that the guy goes on to perform like that, was it? No, not really. I mean, he's had a, he's had a good year so far oh, as well. So, and he, um, to kind of get himself into, um, I guess, a playoffs or whatever. I mean, he made the win and got his... We got his card after eight starts. Yeah, he did get his card very quickly. And his English was spectacular. I mean, he's, yeah. you know, moved away from uh, Korea early age and lived in um, Australia, lived in New Zealand and, and everywhere, yeah, obviously everywhere. now in in America. So it's it's fun to see and it's it's good to see when they bring someone in like that so people get to know him and then he has a great week and wins the tournament. It really kind of shows that you you never know. I mean everybody starts from zero in the beginning of the week and he started off with a snowman which is not nice, but he recovered amazingly from that. Yeah, great personality. He, I do I do always I'm envious of seeing guys that he's so young and able to do corporate speaking. And I know it's probably easier because somebody's asking him obvious questions about himself and his career. So he's speaking about something that's very, very familiar. But just the way he spoke, um, God, this guy's going to be around for a long time. And what you did notice there mid-tournament, and we even uh, noted it 
you know, as we're looking at the leaderboard, a lot of the Asian players are starting to show a great deal of influence now. Um, we've seen it on the LPGA for many, many years. The guys are starting to do more and more, um, really, really coming out at a younger age, which despite their military requirements to do, yeah. has always held them back a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, in and around that, different cultures, but the Asian culture, once again, whether they be the females on the LPGA or the males on the PGA, they're all great putters. Yeah, yeah, they are great putters. I mean, great short game, I should say, overall. Just their demeanor and their, um, I guess, not in not showing too much emotions, which is, uh, you know, which is good in golf, that you're keeping yourself in an even level because you don't drain any extra energy that it's uh, not necessary. So it's so much fun to see. Yeah, so that was a nice... Uh Tuesday gig for you then of course I think Tuesday or Thursday I can't remember getting my days mixed up now but on after the Wednesday Pro-Am we did have um, a nice little well before the tournament once again we had two guest speakers which was uh, Kevin Kisner which actually by Kevin Kisner was the uh, defending champion yeah not Billy Horshaw so yeah I Billy Horshaw was one of the main sponsors well that, that is correct yeah sponsors main sponsor and of course another guy that was heavily sponsored by Wyndham and I, I would suggest I can see why, which which was Brant Snedeker, who was injured, but he was there fulfilling corporate requirements. Yeah. And he spoke so well again, um, basically did an interview with Kevin because Kevin then had to leave to get ready for his tea time the next day. Right. But Brent stayed there and answered a bunch of questions. I think we even suggested he would be a great guy to get in the prime at any particular time. Very popular guy. Mm. Said a couple of things in regards to some questions from the audience that I thought he answered really well. One in particular... Um, it was a really, really well-phrased question that this guy asked, and I think Brent really appreciated it, and it was based on the lines of how does he stay out on the tour for so long? What's the difference between going from, you know, mini tours, uh, which is a lot of people out there listening to this podcast have friends or you currently do play mini tours, and you're just thinking, what's that level to go from mini tours onto the PGA Tour? And he thought, I thought he answered it really, really well. And the fact is that everybody on the PGA Tour, and this would apply to the old PGA Tour as well, they just have a certain mentality that they're able to adjust and make it work for them. So they kind of own their own game. They build that and build that and expand on that through knowledge. But I thought he made a great point about he went in search of information in his years on the tour asking Phil Mickelson what he thought and how he how he went about his psychology on the golf course, Tiger Woods, um, other, other world-renowned sports psychologists. And it came down to the fact that he said, in the end, everybody has individual triggers. It's just a matter of understanding what makes you play your best and then making it work time and time again under pressure. Yeah, it's it's so so well said because it's easy to look at or, or read books and this is how the brain works and this is how you're supposed to think and this is how it's supposed to work. But everybody is different and that's what's so unique, I think, as well with, with golf or any sport, really, where you just have to find your own, your own way. You can take little pieces from everybody and see that this might work for me. I try it out. No, it didn't. Oh, yes, it did. So you, so you stick with that. But I think it's so important to find your own, your own way and your own, um, achievements or your own professional, uh, what do you say? Professional top to find what works for me that I can bring forward and make the best out of my game. 
Yeah, because then you can own it. So we see at Tour Talk, dealing with a lot of college kids coming through that have aspirations or mini tour players looking to try and get onto a, a major tour, um, trying to travel to Europe or Asia. You know, these, these particular students, almost like wanting to know what's the magic potion, what's the, what's the answer? The answer is, is right in front of you. It's you. It's about getting out there and if you can financially make it viable, continuing to sustain on, on a professional pursuit to gain more and more knowledge and not letting your confidence get knocked to the point that you start getting even more searchy. So um, the lesson really is at, the, at that highest level that you played at, the elite level, there's no secret formula. I mean, golf swings are golf swings and and everybody's got an opinion on how to get better, but ultimately the player literally has to know what works for them and once they find something, try and repeat that week in, week out, year in, year out, and before you know it, you've got a professional golf career. Now, where that takes you, there's a lot of luck that goes into that as well, injury-free and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but yeah. I thought Brent explained it really well. I think a, yeah, lot, of the, a lot of the corporates that were there mm-hmm. were sort of had the opportunity to ask a sort of professional athlete, and I think ultimately at the end we were very familiar, obviously yourself, you've lived it, very familiar with what his answer was going to be, and that is it's not rocket science, it's just Good, whole, hard, very, very hard work. Yeah, it, it is hard work. And I think also if you find something that works, believe in it as well. And don't try to change too much and too often. If you, if you find something, go with it for a while and uh, believe in it and, yeah, own it. That's yes. what is important. So you were up there for the uh, Pro-Am and you teed off with two very classy PGA Tour players, uh, very successful, Kevin Strillman yep. and Australia's Cameron Percy. Right. What was your experience playing a PGA Tour golf course, and a hard one, by the way? It was uh, a hard one, yeah. What was your experience now that you, when you're on the PGA Tour course versus some of met, uh, hundreds of LPGA golf courses you played, maybe give the, the listeners an, an insight to what your experience was like playing a PGA Tour golf course that was absolutely primed for the next day of competition? It was a great experience. I did play from from the men's tees because it's more social that way since I played with um, two other amateurs that were men. Obviously, the pros play on the, the way back tees. But it was, it was a great experience. And I must say that the way that course was set up, it's a um, Donald Ross course. Mm-hmm. So we know at Donald Ross, the greens are extreme. They're yep. really difficult. Um but these greens were one of the purest greens that I have played on, mm. I think. And even the players said that into the tournament. And this is a regular a regular event, if you call it a regular event. It's not a major or anything. But the greens were excellent. They were so fast and you really had to place the ball in the right spot. And I found when I played, uh, you know, with, with these two pros this week, Kevin and um, Cameron, that... The, the biggest difference I saw was that they left themselves always in a good spot mm-hmm. to be able to make the pod or have a good chip. And that's what I kind of noticed with them when they played. Because sometimes, you know, you hit a shot and you're like, yeah, I'll just play it up there. And then I lean myself above the hole, which is almost impossible. And then I think to myself, why did he hit it there? And then I realize when I come up on the green, it's like, that's why he played the ball out there. But also the fairways are beautiful. The rough was thick, uh, a lot thicker than we would play it on tour. Probably in majors we might play it um, thick like this. Would you regard would you, would you regard last week's 
PGA Tour golf course the equivalent of and, and adjusting the distance, obviously. But w- the way it was set up, would you regard it as a women's US Open or was it even more, was it harder than that? I think a, a women, no, women's US Open, I think. It was very, very close to that. The um, fairways might have played a little bit faster in, in the US Open. Yep. But again, it was only Wednesday, so I'm sure mm. by Saturday they all dried out and or Sunday they would have dried out and, and gotten faster as well. But it was... It was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed playing the golf course. Yeah, so Kevin Strillman and Cameron Percy, you know, played nine holes each. Now, it was, what was interesting was the actually the LPGA have always seemed to follow in the footsteps of the PGA Tour. But in my days on the PGA Tour, we were a one pro, three guys in, in a group, right? So um, nice to see that maybe the LPGA instigated this uh, back in the day where you get two pros for the price of one, yep. uh, which is really good, I think. So, you know, if you're an amateur in a group playing a PGA Tour Pro-Am or an LPGA Tour, mm. um, you know, you get a pro for nine holes. And then, of course, we found in our experience over the years that generally that second pro and that back nine comes at just the right time because if the scoring's not going great and everybody's starting to get a little bit, this is all getting too hard, they get the injection. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, get injection with, Inge- a new, with a new pro coming yes. in. But it can be a bit of a, both as well. I mean, you might have a great pro and you're like, oh, I'm so happy to have this pro. And then after mm. nine holes, you get somewhere like, oh, I can't believe we got swapped to, to this one. But it can be the opposite too. You have someone you play with the front nine as a pro, um, you're like not too happy, and then you get a great pro, the back nine. Yes, so and, and I, I think will, it's a good experience. And fantastic caddying there, taking up from my little coughing incident. So well done. It probably won't be the last time we do it in this podcast. Kevin Strillman, been out there for a long time, has won, and I tell you what, that guy, when he decides he's in good form, he can run the tables. He didn't play great last week. He did miss no, the cut. Yep, now, yep. Cameron, mm. Cameron... Interesting story. He kind of lent on you once he got to understand what your background was and he kind of remembered that I was, I kind of remembered my name and who I used to caddy for and uh, familiar being Australian. But he kind of, I felt like he lent on you. You were explaining that he talked about, you know, the possibility of entertaining retirement. Um, maybe expand a little bit on that and what sort of advice did you give him? Did he ask for any particular advice or was he just prying? Well, I think he was just prying a little bit. I mean, he's been out there for a long time. Maybe hasn't had the la- the greatest of years the last few years, and been a lot of battling for him. So you know, knowing that I retired kind of full time from the tour, um, you know, four years ago, he he was just asking like, when did I when did I know that it was the right time to retire? Um, so for me, it was mostly that I was out there by myself. Um, Sean and Emily were, they were here. You guys were here at home because Emily had started school. So being out there by yourself and being older in a way on tour and the players are getting younger. There's not much in common anymore with players out there. So being by yourself, sometimes missing cuts. uh, It's not that much fun to sit in a hotel room and just be by yourself. So for me, that was kind of the the breaking point a little bit, knowing that I think it's time to try to do something else or at least spend more time at home. And I think that's what he kind of felt as well a little bit, that it would be nice to spend more time at home. You know, he's got three kids and they're growing up. And before you know it, all of a sudden they're off to college and you don't see them that much. So I think that's kind of, he was just asking lightly what was 
how did I know when it was time for me to retire? Yeah, and if he was thinking about retirement, he might have changed his mind four days later because he ran a beautiful top eight, I think he finished. So yeah, yeah. bumped him up the money list, um, playing the Corn Ferry sort of playoffs and all that sort of stuff. So he might have a little injection and a real, little rethink. I think every player goes through that when they've been out there. He's a bit said he's been out there for 17 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's a car- massive career in itself. doesn't matter whether you've, what the wins or losses have been, just sustaining professional excellence for that long is very, very admirable. So I'm sure he's just contemplating that gap. I th- you said he was 47, 48, I think, 48. Yeah. So he's kind of in that window, isn't it, that 45 to 50 range. Yeah. Um, but well done to Cameron. Two fantastic guys, Kevin and Cameron. So a great pro-am. Mm, so you've done the pro-am, good. you've done the clinic, you're having a great week, we're getting hospitality, Sean's yeah. getting sick by the day, <laughs> yes, and I'm starting to good. spend less and less time around you and Emily, yeah. and I'm now bottled yeah. up in the, in the hotel room. Mm-hmm. But we decide to go to the first round. First round or second round? The second round on Friday. Second round, Friday, cut day, it's always great. So Mm -hmm. um, with, uh, once again, being making sure that I was COVID negative before I socialised, went to the 18th hole, Wyndham Hospitality, fantastic air-conditioned, right on the 18th, and I happened to sit there for about an hour or two while you and our daughter decided to travel all the way from Orlando to Wyndham and then venture out to a fake beach that Wyndham had put up <laughs> in the middle of the golf course for entertainment purposes. I found that a very odd one, but not, it was not great. unfamiliar. No, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, it was really it was really cool. And they even had uh, uh, models out there. So uh, it was well, enjoyable well, well, to watch well, models. Well, what kind of models? Oh, both. Aeroplane models? Models uh, of uh, men and uh, women. Oh, well, I should have gone. Yeah, you should have gone. You missed yeah. out on that. So they had shirtless guys. They looked like Top Gun guys. So oh. that was kind of pleasant to you watch. You didn't tell me about that. Now, no. when you, spent, no. you and Emily spent two or three hours oh, yeah, down there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We enjoyed it very much uh, out there. Sean uh-huh. was having Sean time in air conditioning yeah. comfort, and you mm-hmm. were down there... Um... Yeah, socialising. Oh, is that what we call it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh. as I sat there... I'm watching, obviously, a bunch of guys come through in their groups and they're right on the cut number and they're either playing, that's their nine, they've got another nine to go, or a bunch of guys are trying to finish off the job and it's that terrible feeling, isn't it? You can see it because we've lived it, Yeah. what it's like to come up the 18th, you're either on the number trying to stay there or trying to make a birdie and there were so many stories that you could just sit there and watch it and I, I did see eight to, t- to ten guys miss the green and... Missed the pin, you know, getting close to the pin. A lot of guys hit the hit the hit the green to about twenty, thirty feet. Not, yeah. It was a tough pin yeah. to get at, but a lot of guys missed the green. Bunker shots, pit shots, chipping, you name it. And I just, it was familiar to me because I was watching it from my experience of knowing that these guys, when they miss the green, not only do they get it up and down, there's more more a very good chance they're probably going to hole it. And out of the ten players that missed the green. They played a cumulative score of one under par, which is quite unbelievable. So every guy got it up and down and one guy chipped in. And that guy that chipped in needed to make a birdie to make the cut mm. to then get into FedEx Cup. So yeah. it is amazing watching these guys. And when you came back from your little mail review down there on the beach and you and Emily came back for a little lunch and you sat down and there was another guy that came through the green and you just made a very – simple innocent comment like oh i'm surprised he's going to chip that i thought he would putt it it did give me a little bit of perspective of of how you have seen your tour over the years on the lpga tour and the options that you guys would would choose and play and what the pga tour guys do and then when i kind of said to you there's 10 guys that have missed the green and 
every one of them's got up and down and one of them's hold it. What do you kind of think? Does that sound very chauvinistic when I say that? Because I'm just trying to come across that these guys are unbelievably good with their short games to the point that putting it from off the green is not an option. They will chip it. They'll chip it close, if not chip it in. What was your thoughts on that? Yeah, obviously I, I was a little surprised. I mean, the green, the 18th green there at Wyndham, it's uh, fairly, fairly severe uh, from back to front. And then there was, the group pin was kind of back right. So it was a little bit of a, of a ledge up there. And a lot of them missed the green going long. And to me, always going long, you know, chipping downhill down the green a little bit has always been kind of a difficult shot, I would say. But these guys just had no problems with it. And I don't know if it comes from, I don't know if it, it's not like they practice more. I mean, the women and the girls practice a Mm. lot, short game as well. It might be equipment, it might be different bounds. Um, I know a lot of the players on the PJ Tour kind of changes their bounds depending on what courses they play. And I think also on the PJ Tour, sometimes they have a little bit more consistent areas around the greens uh, compared to what LPJ courses mm. have. I think we have a lot more variety of type of courses that we play. So I think the PJ Tour sometimes have the courses set up a little bit more consistent than we have. But yeah, it, it's it's great to see. It's amazing to see, and I think it's just, um, yeah, confidence as well. I'm sure yeah, it's confidence. I think you made some really good points there. And I don't want to sound facetious when I'm saying that. Oh, it was the guy? Look how good the guys are, and the girls can't do that. It was really interesting sitting there with my sort of, uh, you know, when I caddy for for Bryce Mulder and John Sendon and those guys, and you're in and around those guys every single week. Um, it, I mean, some of the shots they used to hit every day. I would actually be really, really impressed. You know, I don't get impressed very easily. So no, some no. of these chip shots they would hit from really, really tough lies. Now, a couple of points you made there, I think, is really very accurate. Is the equipment that the guys have? They have a selection and at hand, um, they can change the bounce on their wedges. You know, they've travelled with three, four, five wedges, and they'll change the wedge or they'll go and get a new wedge, and uh, depending on that golf course. Yeah. Um, so the equipment is one thing. I think also, like you said, they're getting tested on that quality of shot, be it very difficult, every single week. So it's very, very similar. So they have to, and the practice facilities mm. that they get to practice from yep. test them as well. Whereas I felt on the LPJ for many, many years, you guys get a variation of quality sort of practice and then quite in the golf courses are you know some of them are pretty average so yeah and sometimes the practice areas wasn't really the same as the course yes. which makes a difference too and i think they become the way they set the courses up around the greens can make the players quite one-dimensional a little bit so a little bit of everything but it yeah. was interesting kind of seeing or hearing your reaction like oh it's surprised he was gonna he wouldn't putt that when i've just sat there and thought well there's 10 other guys that have chipped it you'll see another 10 guys after this that'll chip it as well so um yeah, really interesting. With it, when you watch the, when you watch anybody, we've gone to watch professional tennis players. You know, at the highest level, you've played at the highest level. When you see anybody playing at the highest level, you know, there's a reason why you guys make it look so easy. It's because hours and hours and hours of application, and then application under pressure. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And and you have to you have to try to practice um, under pressure, which is mm. hard. Uh, but put some goals out and uh, once you reach it, you're done with the exercise. So sometimes 
exercise might take five minutes, but sometimes it can take an hour because it's just changing it up a little bit and do different things. And I think that's important for you to be able to practice in a pressure environment. Yes, and I'll tell you what, um, just taking our minds across the pond, we had a British Open, the Women's British Open, just changing up the subject a little yeah. bit because these yeah. girls played exceptionally well. Yes. Uh, Women's British Open, run and won, and South African. South African, yes. Ashley, Ashley Buha. Yeah. Do you know how to pronounce that? Buhai. Buhai. Yeah. Oh, Ashley Buhai. Yeah. Lovely girl. Yes. Fantastic husband, great guy. Mm. Uh Really nice caddy as well, Australian, um, Tanya. So they pulled off a fantastic win. You seem to sit there and watch it um, with an eagle eye on how they were handling another Scottish golf links that you're f- kind of familiar with. Um, what did you think of the of the tournament, the playoff, and probably I'd like to get your opinion on the fact that they looked like a serious lack of crowds? Yeah, so... I uh, yeah I watched it. It's it's always I love watching um, the British Open obviously because being there at um, Stirling University just playing a lot of the courses. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to play Muirfield when I went to school over there, but it looked like a great course. Uh, it looked fair, uh, but it was tough. I mean, they had four hole playoff, and that was a long hole that last hole. They were hitting rescues and they were hitting, um, you know, long irons in there, which is interesting. But it was uh, a great, I mean, great finish. Ashley, she's played 15 years on tour and this was her first one on the LPGA. Um, she has kind of come up pretty good recently. She finished top 15 in Evian. Um, she was top 21 at the KPMG. Uh, she missed a cut in the first major but then coming um, to win this week. So yeah. that was a great great win for sure. Probably pretty apt that she wins with a fantastic bunker shot, talking of short game yeah. and elite level, fantastic bunker shot because obviously with her cultural heritage, she's got Gary Player, world-renowned bunker player back in the day, all mm. the South Africans, great bunker players. Ernie Ells, when he won his British Open there, played a fantastic bunker shot from the left side, green side trap. Yeah. Ashley played a great one. Mm-hmm. Was it four holes? I thought it felt longer. No, it was four, four holes. Was it? Yeah, it was four um, holes. Played a fantastic bunker shot, and obviously that got the win in the end. Because yeah. they, and I tell you what, they didn't have too much daylight left because that it, was the last. That the was last, the last time. Yeah, so. otherwise it would have gone back. So it would have been fantastic for Ashley and her husband. I'm sure they had a great night last night. Um, yeah. Tanya the caddy, she's a bit of a rascal rat bag. I'm sure she would have loved everything <laughs> to do with having a little. Uh, Drinky poos. So well done to Tanya. She's been yeah. an outstanding caddy for a long, long time and a very good player herself back in the day. But we we're talking. Oh, well, they yeah we were mentioning. Is there the? Is it the first time that a caddies that are married out there have won majors? Tanya and Mikey. Oh, that's probably the first time, right? Yes, well, maybe you want to explain that Tanya's husband, Mikey, yeah. used to caddy for Kari Webb, world number one player. For and a long time. Now Kari's yep. retired. He's gone on to caddy for a handful of other players, and one of them is... Sonyeon Ru. Ru, yeah. Now, did she win a major? No. She No, he won a major with Webby, though. She won plenty of majors with yeah. Webby. So I yeah. guess there's a little marriage made in heaven there of major championships. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah. was just an interesting little side yes. fact. Yes, we've grown up with uh, Mikey and Tanya. Went to their wedding back in the day. So yeah. uh, who would have thought it would last? But now, right, of course, right. it will with 80 smackaroos in the back, <laughs> 80,000 of them. Well done, Tanya. Don't blow it all on the pokies. Yeah, yeah. So, so a fantastic British Open, mm-hmm. but... 
in texting our friends over in Sky Sports, Laura Davies and Trish Johnson, kind of felt like, does it feel like there was nobody really watching? Do you think that had anything to do with the fact that all the British Opens have been played, the men's, the men's senior, now the women's come last, and it felt like Murrayfield just didn't quite get it? I think so, for sure. And they said it was pretty expensive to get in as well. Mm. I don't know what the cost was, but considering that, yes, it's been a lot of majors played in the last few weeks. So I'm sure it's hard to get it and also finish late on a Sunday. Um, kids, you know, there, they take kids. So, no, I think they go back later. But still, it was just, yeah, it was just hard, I think, yeah. to get spectators to come. Unfortunately, it was just didn't fit in, I think, for a lot of people. Yes, and a bit of respect's got to go around that the world is probably just about to enter in, if it hasn't already, into a recession. So times are tough yeah. and... Um, all the more reason why sponsors are so valuable to golf tournaments and keeping everybody in a job. So a British Open that has been run and won by Ashley Brew. Can you say it? Brew High. Mm. It's not Iris, isn't it? Isn't it? No. Okay. Boo High. Yeah, Boo oh, High. I got it. Maybe yep. it's my cold that's cold. Oh, yeah, yeah. So a little, you know, we've done a little round the trap and we've been so busy with, uh, you know, your senior event a couple of weeks ago up into the um, – PJ event last week. Where are you heading this week as I stay here, hold down the fort under <laughs> yeah. very serious health duress and our yeah. daughter goes back to school. Where are you going this week? I am going to Minnesota mm. to Mystic Lake to play a senior event that is played over the weekend. So we have a pro-am on Friday and then 18 hole Saturday and 18 hole Sunday. What's first prize? First prize, does it matter? Yeah, it matters, it matters a <laughs> hell of a lot because Shawnee's going to be sitting back here thinking, okay, wifey, you know, bring back the moolah because I need to spend it. So what's first prize? Uh, first prize is 35000 Oh, what can I spend 35000 Yeah, mm. yeah. So the event is uh, Land of Lakes Legends Classic. So, yeah, unfortunately not on TV, but we can always find scores online. I do believe you have to hire a caddy. So what are you going to do, local caddy? Yeah, go local caddy. Yeah. That'll be fine. I can use a laser, so it'll be good. Yep, it will be good. So at the end of that week, when you come back and we go back into domestic responsibilities, are we here for a little while? I think we are. Yeah, we're here uh, for a little bit. And and not forgetting that uh, whilst you're away uh, in high society life, Sean is still working very, very uh, very hard at um, Tour Talk at... Marriott Grand Vista, giving yes, lessons, yes. keeping, you know, the walls from the door. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, someone's got to do it. <clears throat> because, while I'm out traveling. <laughs> yes, because, I mean, you've got no credibility. You only hold no. us afloat for about 30 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yes. Yeah. Anyway, a fantastic little uh, walk around the golf traps there. And mm-hmm. is it time? Do you think it's time as we finish up this podcast? Maybe we could do a little good, bad and ugly. What do you think? Yes, we are back with good, bad, and ugly. And today I am going to start. Okay. Yes, and I'm going to start because I've started watching Tom Brady's mm-hmm. new documentary called Man in the Arena. Okay. And I love that show. It's really good. It goes all the way back from when he started playing to um, going through now his career, obviously, and um, going to go up all the way to the. Um, 21-22 seasons I'm on 
I finished episode six and there's ten episodes, so I'm very uh, intrigued by that show. I really enjoy it. It must be because I think I was, uh, I think today I found you in the middle of the day watching it, which is very, very unusual for you to be doing. Yes, you it is. Yeah. The busiest woman <laughs> I know, and for you to stop. <laughs> And actually watch a series on TV, yep. that is unbelievable. So I'm staying well out of the way with that one. Tom Brady, every every guy wants to be him. Every yeah. woman wants to be with of him. Of course. Yeah. 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 What's your good? My good is seeing some fantastic footage. I didn't see it yesterday and I'm not too sure why because we were actually at the tournament and it was Sir Nick Faldo's last tournament as a commentator after 16 years of being in the biz, after being a dominant world number one for about 20 years prior to that. Yeah. So Nick's last tournament uh, commentating and he's moseying off into the sunset into Montana, I think. Yeah, I think it's Montana, yeah. And he got incredibly emotional. When he tried to sign off, um, Jim Nance, beautiful voice of Jim Nance, was obviously um, trying to tee him up to say a little goodbye and he had his best buddies there and Ian Baker Finch and Frank Nobolo. Yeah, and I tell you what, yeah. for such an – what's quite amazing is Nick was absolutely emotionless when he was playing golf. Right. Absolutely. But post-career, we've seen a few times now um, at ceremonies in particular. I remember we got very, very emotional talking about the passing of Seve Ballesteros. Right. You know, they interviewed a bunch of different guys talking about the impact that Seve had on their careers and Nick got really, really emotional talking about it. So he's quite a reflective guy. Mm-hmm. And just watching him uh, trying to get it out, he, he said he couldn't get it out basically. He was just a complete and utter mess. I'm sure he will, I think that says everything to be quite honest, how much the game has meant to him. Yeah, of course, so of that course. that was my good to see a man man that had no emotion on the golf course be very, very vulnerable at the closing of his commentating career. So well done, Sir Nick Faldo. Yeah. Have you got a bad? I do have a bad, and it's actually a little bit what we talked about before with the crowds of the Women's British Open. Um, again, it's just did not fit in with the schedule and all the other um, British Open that's been played. And it's a shame because it's it's really is showcases the best women in the world. So it's a shame that people didn't come out to watch it. Maybe they obviously stayed home and just watched it on TV. But a little bit more crowd, it would have been nice to see out there. Always good to play in front of crowds. Yeah. Big, deep tent. Remember the remember back in the days of Women's British Opens, there were some serious crowds. You know, places yeah, like even, Woburn uh, back in the day. I mean, yeah. But we understand um, financial times may constraint. So yeah, of course. Yeah, it's a bit of a bad slash being sensitive to the subject. Yeah. Um, My bad Mm -hmm. is the fact that when we listened to a couple of those interviews live from those guys last week in front of our corporate friends at Wyndham, they kind of kept suggesting the elephant in the room, the elephant in the room, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Well, I looked around, I didn't see an elephant in the room, and the fact that they were implying live golf is the elephant in the room. I just felt like it's way too much on the radar of some of these PGA players and operational staff or whatever. I mean, if it's not that big a problem, which clearly it is now, it's not an elephant in the room. If you if your structure of the PGA Tour is sound and everything's really good, why do you need to keep talking about it or asking players about it? We've discussed this in other podcasts, but when you see yeah. it live and you see the guys being asked um, from ex-players about the elephant in the room, I mean, they're probably getting sick and tired of talking about it. Billy Horschel talked really well about it, mm-hmm. stuck to his consistent line that he feels like it's not appropriate to have live golf. But 
each to their own. I felt like it was bad just talking about the elephant in the room. It's like, well, it's not Santa Claus. I mean, it's it's no, it's, it's obvious. It's out there. It's existing and it's operating. So live with it, literally. Yeah. That's my bad. Okay. Um, well, then we got on to ugly. Yep. And my ugly is a little bit, um, well, so Justin Lower, he three-putted the last hole, Ooh. right? He came into that last hole eight under par. Yes. If he pars the hole, he will um, keep his card. He will go to the playoffs. Um, he three-putts. He hits his first shot to 64, 61 feet. And then he hits his next putt to six feet and misses that coming back, which then puts him 127 on the money list or the points list. And that even saved Ricky Fowler, who finished 125. If he had two-putted, Ricky Fowler would not be in the playoffs, but now he is. And if he had two-putted, he would have had um, his card kept. Mm. So it was a lot of drama. It was a little bit ugly, I thought. Unfortunate for him, obviously. Yeah, that's always ugly when it gets down to the nitty-gritty yeah. of a shot here and a shot there. You look back and think, if only, shoulda, coulda, woulda, maybe. Yeah. But yeah. there has to be a line drawn somewhere and there's always somebody that's sad to be on the wrong side of it. So that's of course. Your ugly. My ugly. Yeah. I'm going to kind of finish on a, which was actually a little bit, you turn an ugly into an actually pretty good week, I think. Now, Justin Rose... Major championship winner, uh, fantastic status in the game, you know, very wealthy guy. Um, so you see him in the field, I see him in the field, and he starts the day on the first day five over par on his front nine. Now, it would be incredibly easy, I would have thought, with somebody of Justin's sort of place in the game to just pull up stumps, you know, and uh, either withdraw, which a few other players did that have quite commonly done that quite regularly that, that that means the same thing but anyway justin rose shoots five over the front nine turns it round, makes the cut finishes probably mid-pack somewhere didn't quite check his result but i think that's an ugly turn into a good i just wanted to point that out because i think it got lost in you know who won and this and that and live and everything else and ultimately there's guys out there that are still playing for a great deal of pride and well done for justin rose being that ultimate professional by never ever giving up so well done to justin rose that was my ugly turn slash good okay yep so it's Fair been enough. a great podcast i think i've yeah. got through it with one cough a little bit of a sniffle um realized that you and my daughter went down to a beach mail review didn't realize that so we we're talking <laughs> about that post podcast but of course before we go on to our next podcast and before you go away this week can you please remind our listeners maria yeah i will remind you to subscribe to our youtube channel make sure you follow us on twitter instagram and facebook and also remind you that we walk the walk now let's talk the talk look forward to speaking to you next week Bye.